You're listening to the Cafe Friends Community Church Podcast, recorded May 5th, 2015. I didn't see that coming. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Glad you are with us today. The last couple weeks we've been looking at these stories and acts where the most unlikely people come to faith in God. A couple weeks ago, we, we read the story of Philip where he's, he's scattered. The church is facing persecution at the hands of a man named Saul. And he goes to the Samaritan village and, and he performs many signs and wonders and preaches the gospel. And many people come and believe in God. And then Peter and John are sent up there because they need to see it for themselves. And, and they lay their hands on the people and the Holy Spirit descends on them. Then Philip, he's called to go south, and he heads south to the, on, this, on this road to Ethiopia where he comes in contact with this Ethiopian eunuch. And this Ethiopian eunuch is, is riding in his, in his chariot, and he's reading the scripture aloud to himself. And Philip approaches him and asks, do you know what you're reading? And then Philip is presented with this opportunity to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And the Ethiopian ends up asking Philip this question, what's to hold me back from being baptized? And so a believer is made out of this Ethiopian eunuch. And in both these scenarios, it's the most unlikely people coming to faith in God. Now we're continuing on in Acts, and we're in Acts chapter 9, and, it, and these stories, I believe, are leading up to something, that we have Samaritans coming to faith in God, and Ethiopian eunuchs, and Luke, he's trying to get us as readers to see that God is using the most unlikely people to carry out his mission, that this gospel is for the people who you didn't expect, you didn't see it coming. And so we find ourselves in Acts chapter 9. And Acts chapter 9 is fascinating because it occurs, the story occurs three different times in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26. It's the conversion of Saul. And in Acts chapter 9, Luke is writing about Saul's conversion. And in Acts chapter 22 and 26, Paul He's telling people about this experience that he has with God. He's telling people his story. He's telling people his testimony. He's telling people about this experience, this encounter with the divine. So before we get into Acts chapter 9, I want to tell you my encounter with God. I've had multiple encounters with God, but... but but there's one that stands out. When I was graduating from college, I went to Azusa Pacific University where I earned a degree in tuba performance. Um, it's one of the most worthless degrees you can actually earn. Um, but I had a lot of fun uh, getting it, playing tuba. I know, it sounds weird. But I have a degree in tuba performance. And and so I had just gotten married, and I'm about to graduate, and I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And a family friend uh, approached me and said, well, have you ever thought about becoming a police officer? You have a good head on your shoulders. I, I think you would be good at it. 
And so this idea in my mind, well, maybe I'm supposed to go and become a police officer. And, and so I said, okay, well, that sounds good. Um, and so he ended up, he was a retired detective, and he ended up getting me an interview with a police department. And so I had prepared, I had, I had studied and, and read up about what sort of things they might ask me in an interview. I went out and I bought myself a new suit, so I was looking good. And I went in pretty confident. I went in pretty confident. Um, and so I want, went into the interview and uh, the captain, he sat me down at a, at a desk and he just, we just started talking. And then he started asking me questions. And there were questions I, I was prepared to answer. And then he came to this one question and he asked me, Andy, could you kill somebody? And I sat there for a moment, and I had prepared. I knew this question might be asked. And y you don't want to come off as somebody who's this crazy gun nut and say, yeah, I could cap somebody, no problem. But you also don't want to appear timid and fearful because uh, if somebody is in a life-threatening situation, that is something um, a police officer might need to do. So the answer I had prepared, and maybe it was a little overly prepared, but the way I stated it was, well, I hope with enough training and experience I'd be prepared to make that decision if necessary. The interview goes on. They ask me a few more questions, and then he comes back to that question, Andy, could you kill somebody? Now, this didn't surprise me because I knew that there was a chance that they would come back and ask me some other questions. They would ask me other questions. Um, they, would, they, would, sorry, they would repeat some questions to see if I would change my answer. And so I sat there for a moment and I said, well, I hope with enough training and experience I'd be prepared to make that decision if necessary. So they went on and they asked me a few more questions and they came back to that question a third time. Andy, could you kill somebody? So I be thoughts began to race in my head. I began to think, well, maybe they're looking for a different answer and they're giving me an opportun opportunity to change it. Or maybe they really want to see if I could keep my answers straight, if I could stick to my guns, pun intended. Um, and so he, while in the interview there was a corporal actually sitting at another desk and the captain looks over and says, you see that corporal? And I said, yes, and... He goes on to tell me a story about um, shortly after 9-11, there was this man who pulled this um, white van into a large shopping center. And this is shortly after 9-11, so everybody was, was hypersensitive, um, and police departments were on alert, and and, and so this guy was claiming that this white van was loaded with explosives and they shut down city streets for blocks, blocks um, in every single direction. And they had placed snipers at every possible high point and, and eventually the, there was no, they weren't getting anywhere in negotiations and this guy seemed like a real threat and so the call came down to take him out and he says, you see that corporal over there? He's the one who fired the shot. He killed that man. So he looks me right in the eye and he says, Andy, could you kill someone? 
And maybe he knew this was a touchy question, right? Because I had grown up in a friend's church and I and a church that holds to a peace testimony and it was a very large part of who I was and and so I looked at him right in the eye and I said, "Well, I hope with enough training and experience I'd be prepared to make that decision if necessary." The interview went on and and it and it went fine and when it was over I gathered my things and I began to walk to my car and I walked to my my 1994 Ford Escort and I and I sat in and I got there and I took a big deep breath and I closed the door and then I had this God moment this moment where I where I heard the Lord speaking to me so clearly and it was saying Andy what are you doing here this is not what I've called you to do this is not where you are supposed to be I remember having like this argument with God, but, but yes, God, don't you see how I thought this is a door that you are opening up for me so I could provide for, for my wife so that we could, we could live and have 2.5 kids and the white pick and fence and the little puppy dog and all that stuff. I believe this is God. This is what you wanted for me, yes? And it was as if the Lord kept saying, Andy, what are you doing here? This is not what you're called to do. This is not where you're supposed to be. What, God, am I supposed to be playing tuba for a living? Good luck with that. But I always knew deep down, I think, that God was preparing me for ministry. That God was calling me to be a pastor. And I, I, I think I knew that ever since I was probably like in elementary school or junior high that I was supposed to be a pastor. And it's something I kind of maybe pushed aside and, and I would look at things from, from a perspective of how do I take care of me? How do I, how do I provide for my family? How do, I, how do I do what normal people do and, 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 and buy a house and buy cars and, and provide for my family? But at that moment, it was as if God was saying, what are you doing here? This is not where you're supposed to be. So I drive home, and, I, and I'm confused. I felt good about the interview, but at the same time, I felt rotten about my experience with God. I, I had felt like I was conflicted. I thought I was supposed to go this direction. A few days later, I get a phone call. And they said, you know what, we really liked your interview and we want to push you on through the process. Um, and uh, assuming you get through the process, you will, uh, we'd like to pay, f we'll, we'll pay for the academy, we'll pay you a salary while you are in the academy, uh, and you will become a police officer. So I'm sitting there on the phone and, and this would be good news for a lot of people, but for me, I was conflicted. And I sat there for a moment and I paused and I said, you know what, thank you, but I don't think this is where I'm supposed to be. And he said, you know what, I think you're right, Andy. I think you're called into ministry. <laughs> I later found out that, that the captain who had called me on the phone who did my interview, he was in fact a Christian. And that he... He had this sense that, like, I would be a fine police officer, but he, he had the sense that I was called into ministry. God's funny like that sometimes. 
And so I'm confronted with what do I do? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? I just rejected a job offer. I'm newly married. How do I provide? A few weeks later, my roommate in college called me up and said, hey, you know, my parents' church, they're looking for a worship pastor. Now, it's only part-time, but maybe you'd be interested. And I was living, and, and this church was in Yorba Linda, and I said, you know what, that's, that's, that seems far away. I, I lived about um, about 30 miles away, and in Southern California, that's that's like the ends of the earth. That's like an hour and a half drive, and I said, well, you know, I'll think about it. So I thought about it, and and it was, and I, you see, I grew up in the Friends Church, and this was a Nazarene church, and so I was a little hesitant. I was like, oh, I don't know if this is where I'm supposed to go, if this is what I'm supposed to do. So, but I went to the interview. I said, well, I might as well go, and I'll check it out. I have nothing else cooking. So I go, uh, and I meet with the the senior pastor, and and kind of reluctantly, like I didn't want it to work out. And uh, we hit it off we, um, right off the bat because, uh, you know, we were both Angel fans. And so we talked about some Angels baseball for a little bit. And uh, at that time, the Angels um, were really successful. Uh, not right now. They're kind of terrible. But um, they, were, they were doing great. And, uh, and so we had a good time talking about the Angels and talking about ministry. And um, I just really enjoyed uh you know, talking to him and getting to know him and hearing about the ministry at the church. And, um, and, and so eventually I, I, I ended up saying yes. And I got hired there and I became their worship pastor. And we worked there together for, um, for a little over three years together. And then eventually the senior pastor, he felt like he was being called to Kansas City, Missouri. And so one of the things that happens in, in a lot of denominations and uh, in Nazarene churches sometimes is that they ask the the staff to resign as well and you're basically uh, they hold your resignation and you're there for as long as they want you until they hire a new senior pastor and so I found myself being angry with God God here I am I'm being faithful to to what you would have me do I'm serving in ministry and here I am and I don't know if I'm even going to have a job I don't know if I'm going to get a paycheck next week they could cut me loose at any moment any time And then God graciously provided a new place for me to serve. And it was a church where they had started a a church within a church. And they were trying to get this church plan off the ground. And I got to be part of this this team of people that was trying to get this church plant going. And uh, it was a lot of fun doing ministry. And it was in the inner city. And I was working with youth. And a lot of good things happening. And then a year into ministry there, the senior pastor resigns. And I found myself at the same place, having the same argument with God. God, I thought you called me into ministry. Why is it so challenging? Why is it so hard? Why do you keep on putting me in this circumstance, this unknown? And I'd always go back and think about that opportunity I had to become a police officer. Here I am, five years removed from that, and I think about where I would have been, the kind of money I would have been making the job security I would have had. God, why is this so difficult? Why is this so hard? Why is it so tough trying to be faithful? 
So in that midst of that senior pastor resigning, I ended up serving at that church for another two years. And during those two years, I had the sense that God was calling me back to a friend's church. That, that, that God was leading me that way, and so I, I sent an email to our superintendent, Stan, and I just said, hey, I, you know, I sense God leading me in this direction. Just, just kind of keep me in mind. You know, if anything comes up or any of my gifts or talents could be used in a friend's church. A few months go by, and Stan and I are together. I'm leading worship at a, at a family camp, and Stan is doing some of the speaking, and he pulls me aside, and we begin to talk about this little church in Capay. And I, I don't even know where Capay is at the time, and neither do a lot of people. It's not even on a map. And so he begins to tell me about this church and, and what it's like, and he said, well, would you like to, would you like to, would you like me to give them your resume? And I, I said, sure. God, how are you leading me? God, how are you guiding me through this? And here I am today, and uh, I now serve on the senior pastor here at Capay Friends Church, and, and it's amazing to see God's faithfulness in the midst of this call to ministry. But a lot of times, whenever I have doubts, whenever I begin to wonder, is God, is this really what you want me to do? Do Is this where you want me to be? I think back to that moment sitting in that car after that interview, that moment when God got a hold of me and said, Andy, what are you doing? This is not what I've gifted you for. This is not where you're supposed to be. And in that moment, I had a choice. In that moment, I had a choice to either respond to God or to, to cut him off. And say, no, God, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. So that brings us to Acts. To a story that's repeated three times in the book of Acts. Because I believe this is central to the, what Luke is trying to communicate to his audience. That we have to be able, we have to be ready to respond to God's call in our life. We have to be ready to say yes to God. And you know what? God is going to come to the most unlikely people. He sometimes comes to tuba performance majors. He sometimes comes to, to Samaritans and Ethiopian eunuchs. And here we are in Acts chapter 9. And, and I believe Luke, he's leading us up to this moment. He's leading us up. So we've had Samaritans come to faith in God. We've had these Ethiopian eunuchs who aren't allowed to worship in the temple. And now we come to Acts chapter 9. Follow with me. Starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. 
So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother, Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. There's two stories in this scripture. We have the story of Saul and the story of Ananias. And in both stories, Jesus appears to Saul and the Lord appears to Ananias in a vision. And the question is, for both of them, are they going to be faithful to what God is calling them to do? Are they going to be faithful in the midst of God's call on their life? Now, Paul, or Saul, who later becomes Paul, is journeying from Damascus or from Jerusalem to Damascus where he has just gained more power and authority. He's just gained more power and authority to throw Christians in prison. I imagine he's traveling on this road feeling pretty good about himself. And all of a sudden Jesus appears to him in bright lights and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And he doesn't know who it is that's speaking to him. Why are you persecuting me? And he, Jesus tells him that he's to go into the city and he'll be told what to do. And so the men who are with Saul don't understand what's going on. They only heard the voice. So they carry and guide and lead this blind Saul who was once powerful to walk on his own, who had just gained more power and authority, and now he's being led. Meanwhile, while this is happening, the Lord appears to this man named Ananias. And Ananias is told by the Lord that there's this guy named Saul from Tarsus and that he's to go and restore his vision. Then Ananias, he almost needs to go and he remind the Lord, like, wait, 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 wait a minute, Lord. We, I, I know about Saul from Tarsus, all right? You don't need to talk about him like nobody knows who he is. We all know who Saul is. This is the guy, Lord, I don't know if you know, um, but let me fill you in. He's kind of persecuting Christians right now. 
He's kind of killing us and throwing us into jail. I don't, Lord, I don't know if you know, but just wanted to fill you in, give you that little that little of this backstory, um, so that you're not confused. And then the Lord confirms, "No, this is my servant who I have chosen. You are to go and lay hands on him and restore his sight." So Ananias does what the Lord does, and he finds Saul and he lays his hands on him. And he restores his sight, and the Holy Spirit descends upon Saul, and he's baptized. See, I think we have moments right in our life where the Lord comes to us, and he's asking us, what are you doing? I need you to go here. This is what I've called you to do. This is where you need to be. When I preached this last Sunday, this message the way I ended our message was I really didn't have an ending, but I wanted to hear stories from among the congregation about times when God has been asking us to follow or seek after him or do the unlikely thing. And I want to highlight one of those stories. There's a lady in our congregation who um, she had been kind of a victim. She She was treated very unfairly and she began to get angry and bitter. And the Lord got a hold of her and said, why are you so angry and bitter? I got this. And she was confronted in this moment. She could either stay angry or bitter, or she could trust in the Lord that he is leading. You could either stay angry or bitter at the situation, or you could take on the joy of the Lord. You see, these situations come to us all the time. Maybe they're not life-altering decisions, or it seems like they're not life-altering. Maybe it's not a question of what you're going to do with your life, um, or, or maybe it's not always a question of, of going to a place where somebody might kill you. But sometimes it's just in the smallness of everyday life. Are you choosing to follow after God? Are we choosing to follow after God? This seems to be central to the story in Acts. These unlikely people responding to the call God has on their life. But we notice that that God doesn't just ask Saul to stop persecuting Christians. But he has to turn, and in fact, God wants him to do something. I don't know if you have small kids, but one of the things I have found is that you can't just tell your child no. No, don't do that. No, don't do that. What's more effective, if you say no, don't do that, instead, do this. Instead, do this. And we see that's what God is doing with Saul here. I think this story is so central to the book of Acts because Saul, who later becomes Paul, is such a key player in the early life of the church. He travels around, he encourages, he disciples, he goes on trial, and he suffers in the name of Jesus. How do we respond to God? Is God calling you today? Is there a decision that you 
are wrestling with. Do you go? Do you stay? Today, I want to I wanna challenge us. And it's a challenge because sometimes we know what the answer is. Are we willing to ask God, where are you leading? Where would you like me? What are you doing? Are we willing to ask God? Are we willing to listen? It's not always easy. Following after God is not the easy path all the time. In fact, in some ways, it can be harder. But there is so much joy in walking with the Lord and following after him. Today, is God leading you? Do you need to respond to God today? I encourage you to think about your story, those times when God has gotten a hold of you. Because those stories are worth repeating. Those stories are worth telling. And we need to tell those stories to our friends. We need to tell those stories to the people in our church those moments when we have those opportunities to follow after God. Sometimes there's stories when we haven't followed after God, and later we have. Sometimes those are stories when we've doubted what God is calling us to do. But the central character in all these stories about, is about God's faithfulness, about God's ultimate plan for us. That God is in control, that he is doing something. He's reconciling all things. So like Luke, who thinks it's important to repeat this story about how God gets a hold of an unlikely person named Saul, there are probably many uh, people out there, unlikely, maybe you're one of them, where God has gotten a hold of you and is leading you and guiding you.